Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 37. Prague, Czechoslovak Socialist Republic, March 2nd, 1970. 1. The CIA pilot readied his plane in the cold before dawn. Whatever you're imagining, he didn't quite look like that. Higher-ups in his line of work frowned upon people who looked like anything in particular, and he conducted himself so as to minimize any form of notice, including frowns. He took no risks. He turned in early. He smoked, but never more than three a day. He did not drink outside his home. He last had a hangover in 1959. Whatever daring do was, he daring didn't. The pilot walked slow circles and reviewed his checklist. No ice on the wings. Wheel well, free of detritus. No rivets loose. He reviewed two checklists, the one on his clipboard and the one in his head. The checklist in his head featured a few select, secret, Langley-mandated items the one in his hand did not. For most people, this would defeat the purpose of a checklist. The pilot was not most people. The fuel truck came. He exchanged nods and broad gestures with the crew. When they needed to speak, they used broken German. The pilot's German was perfect, as was his Czech, but he did not want the crew to know he spoke either language well. He waved thank you to them. They waved back. Any description the flight crew later offered would be muddled by his gloves and hat and scarf and coat. The sky above the airfield blued. Prague winter morning cold crystallized the air. The pilot's breath sparkled with ice. He stood before his plane's nose, stared up at the featureless glass curve of the cockpit windshield, hands in his pockets. He rose onto his toes and settled back down again. 
He relished waiting. He liked the pause, the tension, like a coiled spring. Everyone the pilot knew thought about flight differently. For him, its magic consisted of suspension, the coyote magic of moving through air unfallen, so long as you kept to the plan and didn't think too much. So long as you did what needed doing, when it needed doing. The sun threatened the horizon. The pilot checked his watch. Not late. Not yet. Gabe Pritchard ran a stop sign, skidded over a dusting of snow, and slammed the brakes, bringing the Moskvich to a sudden stop by the steps of a gray apartment building. Alistair Winthrop, smoking on the sidewalk, and so swathed in slick fur and black wool against the cold that he looked like a pomaded werewolf, revolved toward Gabe with the disdain of a man roused far too early for far too little cause. Gabriel, I was about to leave. Surely your emergency can wait until morning. I need your help, Alistair. Gabe climbed the four front steps in a jump, Tried the door, locked, of course, took a knee, and pulled lockpicks from his inside jacket pocket. Hands shaking. That would be the heartbeat. He closed his eyes, took a deep breath, and tried not being furious, without much success. Not enough time. Apparently, if you're willing to do that in full public view... The Brit ran up the steps and spread his jacket wide like wings to shelter Gabe. Gabe doubted the sale of Alistair's coat would help them avoid attracting attention, though maybe well-dressed men flashed closed front doors in Prague on a regular basis. He'd run into weirder local customs in his travels. Distraction. That was the adrenaline, messing with him. What, pray tell, brought you to such a state? Gabe's second attempt almost broke the pick. Adrenaline, again. No one on the street, no open windows. Maybe talking would help. Dom's cover's blown. Alistair said nothing. He was monumental and impassive, playing out the beat for more information. The flame had someone in the safe house before the Soviet raid. They know Dom's fallback plan. They could jump him and snatch the target before they reached the plane. So exposed, saying this stuff out loud. Hell, no time. Focus, exhale. Tension, rotate, rake. The lock slipped, the knob turned, the door opened, and he ran inside, Alistair following. Your man won't be home. Running upstairs after Gabe didn't seem to hurt Alistair's composure any. His voice barely shook. Not after what happened last night. Not after the raid, he didn't say. Not after an all-out KGB attack broke a CIA safe house that should have been impregnable, not to mention a secret. Not after a months-long plan to run a defector came to fuck all because of what looked like the machinations of a cabal of, Christ, cultists. Because in spite of their precautions against the KGB, they hadn't guarded against bedtime stories. It was Gabe's fault again. His fault Dom was on the run. His fault Dom might already be dead, from magic or from a more prosaic bullet, 
and Maxim Sokolov, defector and elemental host in the hands of the flame. You can help me find him. Gabe turned a circle on the fourth floor, scratched wood floors sandy with snowmelt grit, walls long grayed from their former white. Dom's apartment lay behind the stairwell, facing the street. Gabe ran to the door, which was, of goddamn course, locked. With, even now, after the madness of the last few months, his voice hooked when he said, With magic. If we can find something of his, maybe you can do that, what's it, synecdoche thing. Sympathy. Whatever. The door fit poorly in the jam. He knelt, checked the light that filtered through. Deadbolt, damn it. Stand back, Alistair said. The Brit spent so much time affecting the fop that even Gabe, who knew better, tended to forget what he really was. An intelligence veteran of decades' service. An old-school cowboy James Bond son of a bitch. And a sorcerer. Gabe stood back. Alistair drew his hands from his pockets and removed his gloves by the tips. He rolled his shoulders, then swirled his hands through two perfect circles in the air. Gabe saw, no, he couldn't have seen. He knew magic didn't work that way. Arcs of light trail the man's tapering fingers. Alistair and the world stood perfectly still together. Then Alistair kicked the door down. The jam splintered, the door swung open. Gabe rushed through the door, hands raised and out, ready to put them over his head, in case Dom was here and sleeping with a gun, or tackle whoever was waiting here, armed, for some dumb grunt like Gabe to pull exactly this maneuver. On the ride over, he'd thought all the angles through. Dom would be here and alive, in which case he'd explain as fast as he could. Dom would be here and dead, in which case, if the assassin remained, disable him or her and interrogate. And if the assassin had gone, search for clues. Most likely Dom would be gone, in which case, search his personal effects for something Alistair could use to track him. Gabe was ready for anything but a room that looked like no one had ever lived there. You got no idea how good you're going to have it in the West, Doc. Dom cornered hard onto the airfield. Maxim Sokolov jerked against his seatbelt and let out a breath of air. Sorry about that. In Leningrad, driver's worse, Sokolov said, slowly, in English. Also in the war. You're doing great, Doc, just great. You'll fit in fine. And we have absolutely everything, you'll see. Freedom, good booze, and the women. Nothing quite like an American woman. Just a few more hours. If we escape. Sokolov glanced over his shoulder for the 80th or 300th time this ride. Conservative estimates, both. Maybe he wasn't used to being shot at. Maybe the raid on the safe house hit him hard. Maybe a lot of things. But for the love of Pete, you'd think having a timeless elemental locked up inside your skull would make a body less skittish. Jesus H. Christ. Still, no sense teasing the host, so Dom said, 
I get it, I really do. All that old country pessimism. It's a good reflex, especially where you come from. But you're on your way to a better place, my friend. Dom plucked the cigar from his mouth with his gloved hand and pointed its ember across the airfield to a cargo prop warming itself on the runway. See? There's our ride. Empty didn't begin to cover it. Empty was how you were supposed to leave a safe house when you shipped out. Dom's one-room apartment, on the other hand, had been scoured. The floors shone. Not a speck of dust lingered in the corners. The bare mattress stank of bleach. No pictures hung on the walls. No clothes lay in the drawers. The acrid stench of burnt hair filled the place. Gabe traced that smell to the glistening white bathroom. Toothbrush, shaving kit, all gone, if they were ever here. Shower curtain, ditto. Charred ash coated the bottom of the bathtub. A few embers still smoldered there. Gabe poked through the ashes with the toe of his shoe. Scraps of cloth from the bedsheets. A camel hair suit he remembered Dom wearing. Everything that couldn't be taken. The fire should have cracked the tub, but hadn't. Blackened flame tracks rose to a height of one foot all around the inside of the tub and stopped clean, as if they'd met a wall that wasn't there. Gabe backed up slowly from the tub, out to the main room, past the untouched stove. He's left us a gift, at least. Alistair lifted a wrapped cigar from the windowsill, as if it might bite him. Not his brand, unless I am very much mistaken. A joke of sorts, I do not doubt, considering the thoroughness displayed elsewhere. This isn't normal, Gabe said, is it? Define normal. Alistair rolled the cigar between his fingertips. This is how I would proceed if I wanted to keep an acolyte from tracing me. Clean thoroughly. Remove any trace that might be used to establish a sympathetic or, with a trace of humor Gabe didn't share at the moment, synecdotal link, as you would have it. They burned the sheets in the bathroom. He couldn't quite bring himself to say he, but the cigar was a message, wasn't it? Nothing else caught. The flame does enjoy its cheap tricks. Alistair sighed and pocketed the cigar. For all his shaking earlier, for all the adrenaline and urgency, Gabe was still now and cold. He saw Dom in his mind's eye as clearly as if the man stood right in front of him, smoking that damn cigar in this cast-off shell of an apartment, a shell within a shell. He's, he stopped. There are many explanations, Alistair said. He sniffed the bed. His face wrinkled briefly at the smell of bleach. If the acolytes of flame seized your man, they might have returned to his apartment to ensure we could not trace him through mystical means. But the Dom in Gabe's mind's eye just grinned around the cigar stub and shook his head. Gabe agreed with him. If they snatched Dom, they wouldn't have left him alive. If he's dead, they don't have to worry about us tracking him. One bullet in the brain, one body in the river, that's a lot less risky than scouring his apartment. For all they knew, his place was under surveillance. 
And even if they had some use for him, why leave the cigar? It's a taunt. This is magic. Dom's magic. He's not one of ours, is he? Alistair turned on Gabe. Ours? Damn it. He hated saying it. Ice. Alistair's left eyebrow twitched up so small an increment, Gabe might have believed it unintentional had he not lowered it again just as gradually. Gabe waited for the Brit to push it, to point out that Gabe was calling himself Ice now. What an interesting development that was. How droll, fantastical indeed. Waited for the other man to rub it in. Alistair wasn't a kind man, Gabe knew, but he was kinder than that, at least. No, he said, I'm afraid not. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. island in frigid lake superior a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it ancestor by number one new york times best-selling author scott sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong available wherever you get your podcasts dom set the chessboard on a spare crate in the hold sokolov strapped in across from him wrung his hands and glanced left and right, up toward the cabin and out toward the runway. He awkwardly tugged the sleeves of his heavy coat, fixing an invisible crease. You're safe, Doc. Nothing's gonna stop us now. I will never see Leningrad again. St. Petersburg, Sokolov said, testing the old name as if deciding whether he liked it. My son... They will investigate him to be certain he did not attempt to hide the details of my escape. He knows nothing. I have not spoken to him in years. He'll be fine. Dom wouldn't have lasted in this line of work if he didn't know how to keep uncertainty out of his voice. He reviewed, by reflex, the many ways to hurt a man. Bamboo under the fingernails. Just take the fingernails off. The thing with the arms behind the back, dislocating the shoulders. What did they call that again? Was that strapato? Or was strapato the thing with the feet? Fire, of course. Fire had lots of advantages. Phantom pains, for example. He slid a new cigar from his pocket and offered it to Sokolov, who didn't notice. Dom cut the cigar tip off with his belt knife. 
He always carried a knife on assignment. Never knew when you might need a blade. The blade curved through tobacco leaf and dimpled the pad of his thumb. He lit the cigar with a long match, held the smoke in his mouth. In the cockpit, the pilot raised his hand. See, Doc? That's the all clear. We're good to go. He pointed his ember to the chessboard. Would you like to play white or black? Stop the plane! Gabe sprinted into the CIA comp station, trailing Alistair and a wake of perplexed embassy staff. Get the pilot on the horn. Contact Langley if you have to, but we need Sokolov's plane grounded. Sir? Roslin was the comms officer's name. Gabe's brain produced it just in time, cooperating at last. Where had it been all these months when he needed it? Do it, Keith. The operation's been compromised. Sokolov's in danger. We need him on the ground. Roslin hesitated, hand on the radio. Transistors hummed and whirred. The Marine who'd been chasing Gabe caught his arm, but didn't pull him away. A tight line ran from his eyes to Roslin's. Gabe's skull felt tense, his head hurt, and he wondered if that was the elemental inside him, or his native mix of exhaustion, fury, and caffeine. He made himself cold and earnest. This was part of the job, too. You could offer, you could trade, you could build trust all day long, but sometimes you had no resources left but your own authority. Roslin picked up the receiver. A phone rang in the CIA pilot's cockpit. He frowned. That phone was not supposed to ring. He dropped his hand from the overhead instrument panel, lifted the receiver. Hello? No call signs, no identifying handshake. No one had this number. He did not have the number that was calling him. He wasn't angry, because he did not get angry. But he was frustrated. Distortion squawked into his ear. A mess of voices tangled one another, crushing meaning. Repeat, you're not clear. The competing voices stilled. One spoke into his ear. Off to his left, a small cargo plane lifted off. I don't understand. A repeated question. I have not received the package. Your delivery boy's late. I had to forfeit my slot in line to a cargo prop. He leaned over to starboard and squinted. Though the prop didn't load any cargo that I saw, just two passengers. Takeoff was so gentle on this clear, cold day that the chess pieces barely slid on their board during ascent. Good move, Dom said, as Sokolov drew back his hand. Bishop forking bishop and knight. Whichever way Dom played, he'd lose one, Though if he sacked the bishop, he could retake with the rook's pawn and open the rook. Though then he'd have doubled up his pawns, and he'd dropped a pawn already in a dumb, fast-tempo play early on, and shouldn't be trading now in any event. This was why Dom preferred correspondence chess. His grandfather had taught him how to play in summers of long, slow games, days long sometimes, Hot South Florida afternoons spent drinking sweet, strong coffee on the back porch overlooking the creek. The old man was patient, calm, 
Sitting across from him, you didn't feel bad taking an hour to puzzle out a move. Grandpa smoked and waited and sometimes hummed. He wasn't going anywhere. Until he did. Which was the point of all of this fucking around with hosts and magic, after all? Cancer. Death. Bad ideas. Dom wanted nothing to do with them. At any rate, ever since the old man went, Dom had lost his patience for face-to-face games. He wanted to be moving, to take control, to rush in and slaughter enemy pieces, positional advantage be damned. The pressure of his opponent's presence made him want to scream. There's no cooperation here, buddy. There's just you and me in this world, and I'm going to win. So he made stupid moves sometimes, and got himself into trouble. Good move, Doc. I need to think a bit. He worked the cigar between his teeth. Think I'll head up and talk to the pilot. Of course, Sokolov said. He clasped his hands, each set of knuckles white. One hand always on the plane wall, Dom worked his way forward to the cockpit and settled down beside his man. Dom didn't know the guy, another acolyte the flame had found, a pilot pledged to the cause. That was fine. Everything worked better that way. No need for names. No need to know what precious cargo he carried. Their flight plan circled them back over the airfield. Prague steeples and rooftops spread below, half medieval winter paradise and half communist hellhole. And somewhere down there on the airfield, Dom thought he could see the speck of plane he was supposed to have boarded with Sokolov not half an hour ago. Farewell, Prague Station. Farewell, CIA. I'll see you when I see you. He tossed them all a salute that he would never have admitted wasn't mocking and walked back to the chessboard. He sat and started humming, like the old man. After he lost the bishop, he realized he was humming as time goes by. Fuck. Gabe slammed the receiver down. He'd torn it from Rosalind's hands as soon as the call had gone through. He stood in the radio closet, breathing hard. Rosalind stared. Alistair watched, betraying nothing. The operation was blown. Dom was flame. Dom had Sokolov. Gabe tore his arm free from the Marine's grip and straightened the lapels of his coat. He marched from the closet down the narrow, windowless hall toward a dead end, head down, thinking nothing. Footsteps behind. He recognized Alistair's step before the Brit spoke. Gabriel. Conciliatory. Calming. Cocksucker. Don't start. Gabe dragged in a hot, hard breath. They have Sokolov. That seems to be the case. Gabe hit the wall, hard. His fist hurt. He knew how to hit, knew it on a deep, reflexive level. And good thing, too, or else he would have broken his wrist. What can they do with that? What can they do with him? A great many things. Gabe heard the hesitation. Alistair was a good agent runner. Knowledge was power. You have something the agent wants. Don't give it up for free. 
He remembered Cairo, dust and sun and silver and shadow, a knife and a fire behind his eyes. He remembered Sokolov entering the hotel, quiet and scared and surer than he had any right to be. Tell me some. They want to break the world open, to burn it and build something, no doubt they would call it beautiful, from the ashes. They need hosts for that, as we need hosts to stop them. Sokolov can fuel their workings. He wouldn't do that. The guy's a scientist. Science, Gabriel, is a way of knowing, not a set of beliefs. If they show Sokolov their powers, he will believe them. He was leaving the Russians. No way he'd fall for the flame's line. Perhaps. Then again, perhaps not. The flame has ways to encourage cooperation, as have we. Bribery of all sorts, subtle and grand. Of course, they also have ways to compel allegiance. And, failing both, we have no idea to what extent they have developed the ceremony that embedded that elemental in your head. If Sokolov resists, a possibility on which I would not wish to wager, they may be able to rip his elemental from him and grant it to a creature more firmly theirs. Failing this, we suspect that if they control the conditions of a host's death, they can direct the elemental to an infant of their choosing. If, may, suspect? You've always known our fields were not entirely dissimilar, Gabriel. That's the reason so many of us operate amphibiously, if you will, in both worlds of hidden knowledge at once. We know what we know, or what they want us to believe. We are reasonably certain we can tell truth from falsehood, but only reasonably. With him, will they have enough to do whatever it is they want? We don't know how many is enough. They'll have more power, certainly. And any one host could be the one they need. The rage that had seized Gabe cooled. He turned. Alistair was staring at the blank yellow wall, as if into a crystal ball that showed him a future he didn't like. We won't be able to catch him, Gabe said. We don't know where that plane's going. It could change call signs a dozen times before it goes to ground. They could land 40 miles from here, or 400, fly it under radar. Alistair nodded. Could we stop it? With... Gabe breathed in and out. Witchcraft? Sorcery, please. I'm American, Alistair. For us, magic is witches. Down the hall, Rosalind shouted in check at the aircraft control tower. Need more information, Gabe caught. Yeah, good luck with that. We have no hosts in Prague, Alistair said. I am a... Which, as you say, but we lack a host. The barge on the Voltava has moved on, taking with it the hosts and their elementals. He might be telling the truth, or he might be lying through his teeth, backing Gabe against the wall, forcing him to say now, What about me, Alistair? 
If Alistair felt triumph, he was too careful to show it. We would need ley line control. Jordan's bar. She'll let us use it. And we need acolytes. Alistair closed his eyes. I'm sorry, witches, if you prefer. You can't do it alone? No. So we bring them in, he said. Them? Gabe lowered his voice, made it vicious. Tanya Morozova, Nadia Ostrohina. We need their help. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Keo. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.